If you have a Bible with you, you can act, uh, open to Acts chapter 11. We'll look at verses 1 through 18. So we're hitting the highlights of the book of Acts. Now we're looking at some passages that help us to think more deeply about how the gospel uh, changes us and how the gospel propels us as the church out into the world for the good of the world. Uh, the gospel, it's a word we throw around a lot. Hopefully most of you understand what it means, but let me boil it down for you. The gospel is this. It's the good news of God's favor to us in the person of Jesus Christ. It's pretty simple. It's the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, lived and died and rose again to forgive us, to reconcile us to God, and to make all things new. And that's the basic message of Christianity. Uh, but it's not just something, it's not a basic uh, in this way. It's not just something that we believe in order to become Christians. And then we kind of add on to that and move on to bigger, better things in our life as Christians. The gospel is fundamental to the new way that we think. Uh, fundamental to the new way that we live in every way. And it's something that we need to consider daily, uh, constantly, in order to realign our lives to God's will for us and his purpose for us. The gospel is what changes people. The gospel is what changes people. It takes self-centered, broken people, and it makes us into the kind of people who live for God and who care for other people. Uh, and in this morning's passage, we see the gospel at work. It's overcoming all kinds of social and religious barriers. Uh, it's uniting entire people groups who have been enemies for a long time. As we look at the conversion of Cornelius, I want us to consider how the gospel is for everybody, everybody in the world, and I want us to consider the effect that it has on our lives as we believe that. So let's pray, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, we want you to be with us. We want to be with you. We want you, God, to be in us and that we would be in you. This happens by your mercy. We pray that your gospel would come to us this morning through your word, that it would change us, that it would unite us to Christ, and that we would not be uh, the same people leaving uh, this morning that we were coming in. Uh, we would attribute it all to your glory and to your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. 
And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angels stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the, the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is actually the second time this story appears in the book of Acts. Um, you might be most familiar with it. You think of Cornelius, you think Acts chapter 10. It's what happened right before this. In chapter 10, we see the full account of um, Peter's visit with Cornelius. And as we walk through our text this morning, which is a summary of that account, um, we'll refer to some of the details there. But we should notice, uh, first of all, that Luke wants us to uh, pay close attention when he records stories repeatedly in his history. Right? Like with the conversation of uh, uh, the conversion of Saul that we looked at last week, the conversion of Cornelius is repeated, and it's a pivotal moment in the life of the church, a pivotal moment uh, seeing God's work in the church. In the history of God's work in the world to redeem a people for himself, to win them back from sin and from death and from hell, this is the opening of the floodgates of his mercy to the whole world. Long ago, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, long ago he had chosen Abraham. He had elected Abraham, called him out of the nations, set his family apart, set his gracious love on them in order that through Abraham's family, all the nations would be blessed. Through Abraham, through Judah, uh, one of David's descendants would come and he would be called a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations. <clears throat> that one is Jesus. He's the son of God. He's the true Israel. He's the true um, person of God. Right? He is... Uh, the Redeemer and the Savior of all God's people. And his earthly ministry had been largely limited to national Israel, right, within the boundaries of that nation. And up to this point in Acts, almost all of the Christians were Jews. But starting here, we see the grace of God begin to cascade outward toward all the nations. Finally, after a few thousand years, all the nations would be blessed through Abraham's seed, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the conversion of Cornelius is a big deal. Right? Dennis Johnson says, In the conversion of Cornelius, his friends, and his household, the hand of God himself detonated the charge that dismantled the great dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles once and for all. problem is that people like dividing walls. People like dividing walls. We cling to things 
that distinguish us from other people. Uh, it's like that, that Robert Frost poem at the beginning of the bulletin <clears throat> in the, the reflection uh, section there. We want to be identified with things that we think make us better, right? He says, his neighbor is all pine. He is pine, and I am apple orchard. He's identifying himself with things that distinguish him from his neighbor. And that's what happened. Uh, It happens all the time. That's what happened in ancient Israel. John Stott says that the tragedy was that Israel twisted the doctrine of election God's choosing Abraham, they twisted the doctrine of election into one of favoritism. They became filled with racial pride and hatred, and they despised Gentiles as dogs, and they developed traditions which kept them apart. And it's that attitude that begins our passage this morning. starts off there in verse 1. Now, the, the apostles and brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So when, when some of the Jewish Christians heard about what had happened in, in Acts chapter 10 with Peter's uh, visit with Cornelius, they criticized Peter for ignoring the proper distinctions between Jews and Gentiles. You didn't observe the dividing wall between us. <laughs> right. I. Howard Marshall says that if Jewish Christians felt bound by Jewish food laws, there could not be fellowship with Gentile Christians unless the Gentiles were circumcised and observed the Jewish food laws themselves. Some of the Jewish Christians weren't so willing to give up the dividing wall. Right? And you can imagine their scolding tone as they criticized Peter. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. He says in verse 5, I was in the city of Joppa praying. Now, let's stop there for a minute. Many of you f- are familiar with the, uh, the story of Jonah, the, the prophet in the Old Testament. Jonah was a good Jew who loved his people, uh, proud of his people, and God called him to go preach in Nineveh. It was the city of his enemies, right? the city of the the nation, the Assyrians, who were going to come in and wipe them out. <laughs> it says in uh, the first part of Jonah, the first few verses, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So Jonah sensed that God would only send a prophet to Nineveh to provide the Assyrians with an opportunity to repent and to find mercy. Otherwise, he wouldn't bother sending a prophet. He would just wipe them out and destroy them, like he really should, because they're bad guys and they're our enemies, right? And as that uh, story unfolds, we see that Jonah loves dividing walls. He loves the distinctions between the Jews and the Gentiles, and it's only with reluctance and anger at God that he goes to Nineveh at all. But what happens in the beginning of that story? Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He's going to sail across the Mediterranean Sea as far west as he could get, away from Nineveh. He would rather resist God. He would rather flee from God's presence than relinquish the things that distinguish him from his enemies. 
Ironically, uh, Jonah would rather get on a ship full of pagans. He'd rather use Gentiles to get away from God than let go of the things that divided him from the Assyrians. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa. The biblical themes are coming together again in Joppa, where the Apostle Peter, who is God's mouthpiece, God's prophet, God's apostle, is praying. The story of Peter and Cornelius is the story of Jonah and the Assyrians the way that it should have been. It's the way that it should have been. He's, uh, he's telling the story, Peter is, as a defense to the, the circumcision party. He's telling this story to people who were like Jonah. It's people who were unwilling to give up the things that they believed made them somebody in God's sight. Peter's defending the gospel. And he's defending it among Christians who love dividing walls. And he starts off by saying, I was just like Jonah. I was just like you. David Peterson says that Peter speaks as one who needed to have his own attitude changed in this regard. uh, Changed by God. So, continuing on in verse 5. He says, I saw a vision. Something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. So God gave Peter a symbolic vision and a direct revelation which Peter initially resisted, right? even though he was resisting God. The vision was basically a picnic blanket coming down from heaven, full of non-kosher foods. Right? The, uh, the animals on the cloth were unclean. Uh, the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 11, um, forbids the eating of these animals, Right? Leviticus 11 says, it gives a reason for, um, for this. You shall not defile yourselves with them and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I am holy. Right. So Peter, like Jonah before him, must have been a little confused at God's command to do something so contrary to his religious instinct. Rather than responding with obedience right away, Peter remained fixated on his ritual purity according to the law of Moses. He was reluctant to do what God was telling him to do. God was telling him clearly, do this. Because he was hanging on to the law for his righteousness. Right? No way, Lord. I'm not going to eat that stuff. I'm a better religious person than that. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. Do not call unclean. And this happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. So the Lord rebuked Peter. Literally, 
the voice from heaven says, what God has made clean, you don't call common. You don't call unclean. Something dramatic happened right there. Basically, God revealed that he had done away with the Jewish food laws. It's probably a reference to what Jesus said in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 7. Jesus is talking with the Pharisees who were criticizing him for the same kind of thing. Why do your disciples eat with unwashed hands? Why don't they acknowledge the traditions of our fathers? And he says, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him from within. Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, etc. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. So the, the Mosaic food laws were symbolic in nature. Right? It's not that there's anything intrinsically wrong with pigs. Right? That God would forbid his people from eating them. He was making his people think about consecrating themselves, setting themselves apart as holy, just as God is holy. But Jesus clarified that this has always been a matter of the heart. It's always been a matter of the heart. You can't make yourself holy by what you eat or don't eat. Holiness or defilement is a matter of faith. It's a matter of one's heart with regard to God. And the bad news is that the stuff that's coming out of our heart is evil. It's unholy. Ultimately, it's a matter of faith in the God who makes us holy, who declares us clean through the sacrifice of his son Jesus. And here in Joppa, the Lord was telling Peter that he, God, is the one who makes clean, who declares righteous. And so our preconceived notions of what qualifies as holy need to be realigned in light of that. If God makes it clean, you don't call it unclean. The only reason you would persist in calling something unclean that God has explicitly called clean is if you're trying to find favor with God based on your own cleanness. You're trying to set yourself apart based on something about you, something you wish would define you. Right? And that's something that's so embedded in our hearts that God repeats this vision three times for Peter before drawing it all back up to himself in heaven. Right? So Peter got the idea that whatever was on that picnic blanket, it symbolized all kinds of things made clean by God, right? It was let down by four corners, four um, in symbolic visions in the Bible. It's like the four winds, north, south, east, west. It's the whole earth, right? It's a picture of uh, universality of it. All things are being made clean by God, and it was welcomed into heaven where it was drawn up, right? It was welcomed into heaven because it was uh, declared clean, made clean by God. So... Verse 11, right after this vision, behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. 
Now, normally when Gentiles would have arrived and asked Peter to accompany them uh, to the home of a Roman centurion, he would have fallen back on the purity codes. Jews don't go into the houses of uncircumcised, unclean Gentile dogs. Right? We don't go there. Normally he'd keep that dividing wall up between himself and them. He'd use his religious traditions to make a distinction. But now it was ringing in his ears, what God has made clean, you don't call unclean. And to reinforce what the Lord had been teaching Peter in the vision, Spirit flat out told him, go with these Gentiles, making no distinction. Making no distinction. So he went with uh, six other Jewish Christians who were with him who would serve as witnesses to what God had done in Caesarea. And they came to a full house. Right? It was full of Cornelius' family and his friends. And they were waiting expectantly to hear the word of the Lord from Peter. It had been revealed to Cornelius in a vision that Peter was going to come and speak the word of the Lord to them by which they would be saved. It says in uh, verse 28 of chapter 10, uh, And Peter said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And then in 34, he says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. And he preached the gospel to the Gentiles. And he wasn't even finished. He, he hadn't even issued the call to repentance and baptism when the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he had fallen upon the Jewish Christians at Pentecost. And the the verb that's used there when the Spirit fell on them is pretty vivid, right? It's not like a gentle rain falling on your head. (laughs) It's like a predator falling upon his prey. The Holy Spirit attacked them with his mercy and granted them repentance and faith and the gift of his presence. And you almost get the sense that the spirit was impatient, right? Yeah, yeah, good sermon, Peter. I can't wait, bam, (laughs) right? God was raring to go. He wanted those Gentiles, those uncircumcised, unclean Gentiles from the other side of the tracks. Um, It's just like in the book of Jonah, the Ninevites, repenting and finding mercy from God when, when all Jonah said to them was, yet 40 days until your doom. Right? Peter was right. God shows no partiality. Deuteronomy chapter 10 says, The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Right? God is Lord of all. He's the only God. He's not just the God of Israel. He's God over all the earth. And he sends his salvation out to the ends of the earth, to all kinds of people. The gospel is for everybody because God is not partial. And this passage is written for people like us Because we have a hard time remembering that, that the gospel is for everybody, that God is not partial.
we easily revert back to making distinctions and building walls. We tend to be like Jonah, who got angry at God for sparing those Assyrians. Because God's mercy on the outsiders undermined Jonah's nationalism. It undermined his religious superiority. It undermined the things that he thought that he wanted to make him an insider. He wanted God's partiality. He wanted God's favor on him, but not on others. Do you ever get jealous or upset when people who are clearly worse people than you become Christians? Join the church? When people from a a lower socioeconomic rung, uh, people who aren't as smart as you, people uh, who aren't as morally clean as you, get saved? Do you look down on um, people from other nationalities? Do you look down on people with different theologies? Those Arminians, those Charismatics, those Baptists. Do you avoid the people in church who smell bad or talk too much or have a different color skin? These are indicators that you're clinging to certain characteristics in yourself to set you apart from others, to make you better, to think that you're more favored in God's sight. But God shows no partiality. He doesn't take a bribe. If you receive favor from him, it's on the same terms as anyone else by sheer grace on God's part. John Stott says it took four successive hammer blows of divine revelation before Peter's religious and racial prejudice was overcome. Like Peter, we have to learn that God does not show favoritism. We have to learn that God does not show favoritism. Peter continues in verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So God doesn't treat people uh, differently by external criteria like appearance or race or hygiene or nationality or gender or class. You're not privileged because of uh, what school you went to. You're not privileged because of what school your kids go to or the books that you read or the way that your house looks or how much holier you are than your spouse or your friends or your coworkers. You're only privileged because God has set his mercy on you. And that's good news. (laughs) That is good news. No matter how much you'd like to be distinguished by other things. If you continue to cling to these distinctions, then you oppose God. Because God has broken down those dividing walls. God is expanding his church to include people who are not like you in these ways. Right? They're different from you. And you are no one to stand in his way. This passage is greatly encouraging to people who have been on the wrong side of the dividing wall, right? Like Cornelius, like Gentiles who were aliens and strangers to the household of God, 
for centuries. They were on the wrong side of the dividing wall. And to them, this is good news. The Holy Spirit sent an evangelist to preach the word of God, to preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the one who renewed their hearts and granted them a repentance that leads to life. The Holy Spirit is the one who gave himself as a gift to them to demonstrate the complete equality and unity they have with the rest of the people of God. This is all accomplished as a free gift of his grace that no one could ever deserve. And to God be the glory for breaking down the dividing walls. But this passage is also largely written for people who appreciate dividing walls, right? Who were on the right side of the dividing wall. In fact, John Stott says, again, that the principal subject of this episode is not so much the conversion of Cornelius as the conversion of Peter. David Peterson says that this narrative challenges Christians to be wary of allowing any cultural, social, or inherited religious barriers to hinder the acceptance of new converts into the church. The gospel is for everybody. It's for anybody. The gospel is certainly for those messed up people out there, right? And it's especially for us messed up people in here. The gospel is for everybody, and it can change anybody. We need to be changed like Jonah And like Peter, we need the grace of God to soften our hearts toward other people. We need to be convinced that we're not different from them in God's sight, that we all desperately need God's grace, that we're all forgiven and justified and cleansed by Jesus' sacrifice alone, that we are all filled by the same Holy Spirit, brought into the same body, and guaranteed the same eternal destiny with God in heaven. And when that begins to sink in, then, um, then we're equipped like no one else in the world to extend grace and love to people who are different from us. Right? Christians who are gripped by God's grace to them in Christ are the only ones truly equipped to cross any barrier, to break down any dividing walls in order to offer fellowship. The gospel can take even the most condescending, exclusivist people and give them hope that others can change too. Give them strength to forgive others, to encourage others in love. So let's pray that we'd be more like our Father in heaven who shows no partiality, who makes no distinction, but who showers his favor freely on all types of people. Let's pray that our good Lord Jesus would teach us what it means to be a friend of sinners because he has been a very good friend to us. And let's pray that the Holy Spirit would change us from the inside out, that he would grant each one of us repentance that leads to life and that he would grant us the desire to share that life with any kind of person that we come across. Uh, Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we're humbled under your word. We pray that you would humble us further, that you would humble us daily to consider that we have nothing to bring to you but uh, that simply to your cross, to your righteousness freely given 
to us in Christ, we cling to find favor with you. Would you shape us? Would you change us? Transform our hearts and minds through this gospel and make us the kind of people who um, don't live in order to build dividing walls between ourselves and other people, but who live to tear down those walls, even as our Lord and Savior has done it. We thank you for your grace given to us freely through Christ, and we pray that it would uh, take hold in our hearts and shape our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.